Hi everyone and welcome to our latest Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast. I'm Andrew Strange, your regular host, and as usual we're recording remotely, so please note this might impact the quality of sound. In this episode we're discussing the fair treatment of vulnerable customers, and I'm delighted to be joined by Angus Goldie, a PwC partner who works with a number of our clients in this space, and Connor Darcy, Head of Research and Policy at Money and Mental Health. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Hi Andrew. So after a prolonged period of multiple consultations, the FCA published its final guidance on vulnerable customers in February this year. The guidance, which is immediately applicable to all firms, was accompanied by feedback on previous consultations and sets out the FCA's views, including some examples of good and poor practice. Clearly, in the current economic environment, this guidance is even more important for firms. And PwC have also recently conducted a survey with firms on their preparedness with a follow-up event for our clients in late March. But today, I really want to hear what our guests think. So, Connor, let me start with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Do you just want to start by saying a little bit about money and mental health and the kind of issues that you see people facing? Sure. So we are a charity uh, set up about five years ago by Martin Lewis, the consumer campaigner. Basically, from lots of his work, he found how uh, financial issues could often have a big impact on our mental health. Uh, you know, when you're struggling financially, it's hard to stay mentally well. But similarly, how when you have a mental health problem, how that can make it harder to to manage money uh, or to make you know uh, financial decisions. So uh, we basically work with our research community, which is a group of 5000 people with lived experience of mental health problems, as well as working with firms to try and figure out how services can can be best delivered to support them. And I, I think that the work, um, you know, the, the issues that the FCA's guidance touches on here are really core to us and, and lots of the things that we we hear coming up from people with mental health problems are, are really prominent in, in the guidance. Fantastic. Sounds like really important work. So thank you for taking the time to join us. So, um, I mean, let's kick off with a really easy first question for you, Connor. So do you think the new vulnerable customer guidance will actually help? Yeah, I, I do think so. Uh, I think there's lots in there that's that's really useful, and I think you know, as as we said, it's it's developed over the years and is has turned into a, a really good product. I think you know, firms that that we talk to and we work with them a lot, including through our, our mental health accessible program. Uh, Firms want to do the right thing by their customers, particularly vulnerable customers, but there's often questions around what exactly they should be doing, how best to do that, who who to you know support most. So I think the guidance offers lots of really useful uh, practical examples of things that firms can be doing, case studies, those sorts of things that are, are really going to you know give that bit of extra information to firms who are wondering how best to support their customers. I think there are some questions over monitoring enforcement that we might come back to uh, later on um, about how much of a difference this this really makes and how the FCA approaches that but I think for firms seeking to you know make sure that they're doing the right things there's, there's lots in here that's going to be really helpful. Thank you yes we will come back to that later on I think. Um, firstly uh, I was reading the the, the recent fi- uh, financial conduct authority survey on financialized matters uh, and they were saying that actually maybe 50% or nearly 28 million people are potentially demonstrating characteristics of vulnerability. Do you think that actually, if, if we're talking about that many people, that there's a risk this dilutes the message and, and maybe disadvantages those people who really need the help the most? I think what we find through our work is that, you know, mental health problems are, are really common uh, about you know, a given year, about one in four of us will experience a mental health problem and that rises to one in two of us across our lifetimes. So this isn't a niche issue by any means. So 
often I think there's also a really important issue around stigma and mental health. And, you know, we've come a long way in the last you know couple of decades where people can feel more comfortable about talking about this. But I think it's still really challenging to talk to your, your, your financial provider around this and concerns over how they might react and whether that might affect say, your, your ability to get credit are definitely present in, in lots of people's thinking. So that's why I think the, the universal approach and that, you know, taking this quite broad um, stance on, on vulnerability is the right one because it means that across a range of services and product design and support, firms should be thinking about, well, how would we be supporting people? If someone did have a, a vulnerability, how would this service be working for them? Have we thought about how it might um, need to be you know, tailored for them? At the same time, I don't want to forget about the people who really do need that more wraparound active support where their needs are greater. Uh, and I think there is, again, lots of good examples in, in this guidance over how those people should be supported too. So I think from firms' perspective, it is about taking that um, you know, universal design approach, thinking about how can we make sure that all of our services work well for people with vulnerabilities, but also, again, making sure that the people who do need that more active, proactive support are able to get it too. And Angus, if I can bring you in here, so so not a niche issue, what's your view from your experience of working with clients around some of those numbers, the, the one in four or even the one in two set of numbers that Connor was talking about? Is that your experience with firms? No, certainly firms are typically have a very much lower numbers of vulnerable customers. But I think there's quite a few valid reasons behind that. One is vulnerability is is very often transient. And as Connor touched on there, customers are can feel reluctant to discuss vulnerabilities, especially if it relates to financial matters or, or potentially mental health uh, problems that they have. They may not feel that, that a bank or an insurer is someone they want to have those discussions with. So quite often it's masked from our clients. And also now with the kind of drive towards digitization, it's increasingly difficult for um, vulnerability to be identified. We would normally historically have relied on um, you know, maybe a face-to-face -face interaction or a uh, call center or telephone interaction to identify vulnerability. And um, quite a lot of services have gone online um, during the pandemic. And that, again, makes it more difficult for our clients to pick up vulnerability potentially. Yeah, I can imagine some of the operational challenges around that are quite difficult. I mean, what, what do you see as the biggest challenges for firms in complying with this? And or I suppose, where should firms start then? I mean, if you wind the clock back, you know, quite a few years, then age was a proxy as, as vulnerability. You know, now we're in a considerably more sophisticated environment. Um, what we're seeing is firms are focusing on the members of staff that talk with clients and talk with their customers and making sure that they are educated around vulnerability. There's a lot of setting up of vulnerable customer teams um, to, to be able to handle those interactions with, with the right um the right empathy and with the right skill sets of, of, um, of client uh, members of staff. But I think really what needs to happen is we need to go right back to product design and we need to look at how product is designed, how customer journeys are designed and where are the key moments in those journeys and in those product life cycles where we might be made aware, we might become aware of vulnerability and what needs to happen as a result. So I think there's, there's a lot of work going on at the tail end of the process, if you like, through customer interactions and monitoring. But I think we need to wind that back uh, further up through to product design and customer journeys. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting. So I mean, speaking of challenges to firms, uh, Connor, you've spoken about the importance of firms focusing on outcomes and preventing harms in the first place. Um, perhaps, uh, as Angus says there, around the product design piece to an extent, but rather than just focusing on the prevalence of vulnerabilities amongst their customer bases. Do, do you think that the guidance is going to help firms to actually do that? Yeah, I definitely echo Angus's point there on the importance of product design where, you know, um, it's often hasn't been the, the prominent thing that firms have been thinking about. But again, the guidance does help to put more emphasis on that and thinking about, again, the customer frontline staff, but also, you know, more senior managers and other people in that in that journey where, again, I think online design, as, as Angus again was mentioning, more, more of those services are available online. And what we hear a lot from people with mental health problems is how that online journey can, you know, either facilitate good informed decision making when it's done clearly and well, or actually can lead to people making more rash decisions, not really being fully aware of what they're they're signing up for. So that can be really important. And I think there's already, you know, th this is definitely an evolving area where firms are, are a bit clearer on, you know, we know how to support people. We know what training to give to staff who are on the phones or in branches, say. But I think there's also some good evidence of developing uh, awareness around preventative action. So things like around issues with gambling, where that um, can often go hand in hand with, um, you know, uh, mental health problems and addiction. But what we've seen a lot is, you know, banks taking uh, action with introducing uh, gambling blocks, which can be a really important tool to help people to, again, control their own spending and gambling and, you know, help avoid the harm from happening in the first place rather than just dealing with the debt when it arises. Sorry, can I jump in there? I think the Andrew and, and Connor's a point there also about firms' willingness to um, engage with a, a wider ecosystem of charities and other agencies who can help customers, you know, uh, with matters like mental health or debt or gambling. And so I think that that point around customer journey isn't just firm specific. It's about actually how can we link in with others to, um, you know, help our customers in these circumstances. Yes, thanks, Angus. And certainly that, that kind of externalities type uh, piece was something that came through in PwC survey, wasn't it? That, 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 that it's partly your internal work, but partly actually that external challenge as well. So, so Angus, I mean, what firms thinking about here is, is clearly lots of operational issues, but the, the, the other side to that is, is what supervision is going to look and feel like from the regulator. So what do firms actually need to be able to, to evidence they've done here? Well, I mean, I think in the first um, instance, it's, it's about taking action. So how have, how will firms show that they've taken on board the guidance and have implemented change, which allows them to better cater for customers who are potentially vulnerable? And against the backdrop of digitization that we, we touched on earlier on, that means that actually vulnerability needs to be considered throughout the change cycle the customer journey and product design. Now, currently, the kind of focus is on staff training and awareness, which is very, very valid, as well as um, uh, looking at outcomes and how those are delivered. But I think what firms will really need to do is to demonstrate more of a, a package of change, which will allow them to identify and help customers who have vulnerability um, throughout the product lifecycle as they go forward. So a lot of good work going on and, and certainly uh, some significant investment um, from, from many clients on that. But I think there's, there's a need for better tools and better appreciation across the change uh, and the uh, customer journey lifecycle. Thanks, Angus. So, Connor, 
taking that point on supervision, I believe in, in response to the draft guidance that you had some views around the, the importance of effective supervision and enforcement being being really essential to ensuring that the guidance worked. Uh, and certainly at the stage of the draft guidance, I think you felt that it lacked sufficient detail on how the FCA will supervise, supervise and enforce compliance. Do you think anything's really changed in, in the final guidance or has stuff changed enough? Uh, and secondly, you know, the FCA signaled that they're looking at doing a review in this um, in 2023 or 2024 even, which feels quite a long way away. Do you, do you think there's a risk that firms don't really feel this is real for them at this stage? I think it has improved uh, and I think there is a bit more clarity in there. There's a bit more um, examples on exactly the sorts of things that uh, the FCA should be asking about. But I think there are still questions over what exactly those supervisory discussions look like. How will they be different? What will the consequences be for, for firms if, if they're found to not be doing what, what the FCA is expecting of them? So I think there is still a bit of the proof being in the pudding, but there is definite improvements from the, the previous versions, uh, which I think should help firms to, to make sure that they're doing the right thing. There's also some good stuff around the FCA working with the Equality and Human Rights Commission around firms' responsibility on, on the Equality Act, where you know they should make reasonable adjustments for, for groups who might need a bit more support, including people with uh, mental health problems. So I, I think there's, there's lots of good stuff there. Uh, and 23, 24 is, is still definitely a, a long way away. And there are risks that we don't see the, the change that we need. But I do also think that there's there's, there's good scope here for, for progress and firms who are seeking to make that positive change have, have lots to build on here. Uh, and there is guidance in the consultation uh, around sort of good and poor practice, but clearly there's potentially a big gap between minimum standards uh, and best practice in the industry. For example, the FCA doesn't insist on proactively identifying vulnerabilities through web interactions. So Angus, is this something we're seeing firms do anyway, um, which is something that actually Money and Mental Health called for in one of its responses? Or, and, or does this make it inevitable that firms end up on a, a bit of a spectrum in terms of compliance and therefore we're, we're actually not really achieving very consistent outcomes for vulnerable consumers? I think the uh, point here is it's very difficult for firms to identify vulnerability if a customer's on a self-service journey. However, that journey should have optionality in it for customers to speak to somebody if they feel that they cannot use that process or they're not getting the right level of service and they need to interact in another way. So there's a need for optionality. I think the outcomes, the ultimate outcomes for vulnerable customers and non-vulnerable customers should be the same, but the, the way they get to those outcomes um, is potentially different because customers have different needs and may need further explanation or alternative pathways to get to those, uh, those outcomes. So I think there's a bit of flexibility in there and um, I think firms will, will end up on a spectrum because all firms have different channels of communication with customers, different types of customers. So there is a there is a spectrum which will come out and it's easier to see where leading practice is going now in terms of actually it will nudge towards more and more ability to use different channels and access different channels, maybe change journeys during channels if I feel I'm vulnerable or I want to talk to somebody rather than uh, interact with the capital. Uh, and thinking about that, that sort of spectrum of outcomes, in terms of the metrics that firms should be looking at, I was struck by a, a recent conversation we had with the Financial Conduct Authority on this, where oh, I felt they, they focused disproportionately actually on complaints, certainly on things like the root cause, anal cause analysis of complaints. Surely, if this is about complaints, then firms have already failed? Yes, I think complaints are 
a useful source of insight, but it's very much after the event, somewhat a bit of rear view mirror diagnostics. Our view is we need to look at that customer journey and we need to look at the risks to customers along that journey where products might behave or service channels might not um, deliver in a way which is going to help a vulnerable customer. And that's the way to really address vulnerability by looking at the customer journey, assessing the risks along that journey and working out what needs to happen as a result of those, uh, those, those customer interactions at that point. So complaints are useful, but it's a very small subset of customer interactions by the time you get to somebody complaining. Um, there's an awful lot that happens before that, which can really inform the view of which customers are vulnerable and how they, um, how they need to be treated. I just add that from the perspective of uh, you know people with mental health problems, often it can be a real struggle to to go through the process to to make a complaint. Like you might have already found it very difficult to get in contact with your for, with the firm providing you with the service from in the first place. So then to have to go through an additional process of saying the service wasn't up to scratch, these things went wrong, can be really tricky. So uh, yeah, I think relying solely on complaints is is likely to miss out a, a big section of people who are struggling. Yeah, and Connor, I think, you know, we're doing quite a lot of work in the collection space now, and um, we see it uh, relatively often there, especially when thinking about the um, the new definitions and uh, the guidance with regard to, you know, financial resilience and, and capability. And customers are very reluctant to talk about these things. It's, it's hard to say, I don't understand something um, when you, you may have a credit card loan or something like that. So there's, there's an awful lot of work that needs to go on in further back the chain. So Connor Angus, I mean, maybe I'll turn to Connor first in this, but clearly we can't do a podcast at the moment without really talking about COVID-19. Um, so Connor, do you think that, that people's vulnerabilities and situations are more complex in the current environment? And Angus, I mean, you've talked a little bit about digitization, but does that move or is COVID encouraging that move towards digitization and changing the approach that firms are taking? I think there's been some welcome things in the in the in the strangeness of the last year. I think we've all become much more aware of of mental health and uh, how it can affect us, and we've seen some really worrying stats about the number of you know, the increase in mental health problems across the population. I, I think there's also been lots of learning over you know how we can you know flex services and how they can be delivered differently, with, still with to, to high levels of of service and, and good outcomes for both firms and for consumers so i think there's, there's probably lots to learn and I, I think the big risk that we're the big concern that we're hearing from lots of people with mental health problems is that everything just goes back to normal that uh, all the systems that were previously there that often weren't very accessible for people with mental health problems we just go back to those as normal and there's not the lessons aren't learned and the kind of the flex and the adaptations that have been you know needed to be put in place for the last year just just disappear so i think there's probably lots to for firms to you know reflect on what have we done differently what kind of feedback are we hearing i know we've just said don't rely solely on complaints but has there been stuff that clearly hasn't worked and actually we've had fewer um uh, you know, uh, issues raised in those areas, or are there new things that we could be doing that build on changes that we've made uh, already? So, uh, you know, there's there's going to be people who are struggling financially, where the the impact of say job losses or, or ongoing furlough are still going to you know leave people in more difficult situations. All the disruption we've had is affecting people's mental health, but I think there is a good base there for firms to build on to say how can we you know learn from the, this new guidance, learn from the lessons of the last year to try and provide that better service. And Angus, did you have a, a view from the the, the, the increased digitisation perspective on, on on the impact of COVID nineteen? Yeah, so certainly that's been um, that's been accelerating 
what our clients have experienced has been um, in their call centers, calls have been taking longer and that's resulted in some uh, increased queues, but also there's been a more rapid uptake of um, digital services, self-service and, and apps. Now, I think for vulnerable customers, there's a bit of a bit of a dilemma there in terms of it might be easier to get served online, but it may not actually be suitable for me. So do I want to sit in maybe a longer queue at the call center? Our anecdotal evidence from customer interactions in call centers says that actually empathy is uh, faring very well, if you like, throughout the pandemic and uh, customers feel that they are being listened to and uh, and our and the call center managers are telling us that, that some calls are taking longer as a result. So there's a bit of a balance there, but there is generally a move towards um, self-service or digital customer journeys. And, um, you know, that is is, is a factor of, uh, of modern life and that will carry on post the pandemic because of um, cost pressures many of our clients are experiencing. I think just to reinforce the point Angus was making earlier around having those different channels available, I think it, it's more important now than ever where, uh, you know, people who might have uh, really struggled, we know that, you know, high numbers of people with me with mental health problems can really struggle on the phone and having to to wait on hold for a long time when you're feeling nervous can, can just make that so much worse. So again, I think building in that, uh, that the different options there to make sure that people can get service and, and support in the way that they need it is, is really crucial. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Angus. So, Connor, just a final thought from you. Um, do you think the guidance goes far enough? Uh, and I ask because I'm aware that we're, we're waiting for potential new duty of care proposals from, from the FCA, which are due uh, later on this spring. Uh, and that could even see potentially a, a statutory legal obligation placed on firms. So does the guidance go far enough? Or do you think something like duty of care is necessary is a, a real stick to drive this forward i think the guidance is is definitely a move in the right direction again i think lots of the firms that, that we speak to want to do the right thing and this gives them extra information on how they should be doing that things they might not have thought about ways to go about informing themselves and making sure that what they're offering is is what their customers really need but i do think that there's there's probably still some gaps some of the you know as we said previously some of the detail around the enforcement and monitoring and exactly what's going to happen to firms who aren't you know giving that extra service or that uh, you know differently provided service to their customers who might have vulnerabilities what happens to them i think without that there are some questions over how how big of an impact this makes so duty of care feels like that extra that extra stick as you said to kind of uh nudge people along but i guess we'll have to wait and see what the fca's proposals are but we'll we'll keep a keen eye out for that Thanks, Connor. And Angus, talking of nudging people along here, I mean, the FCA had some original aims for this. Do you think this is going to change business models and firms' cultures? And do you think actually this is going to deliver outcomes for vulnerable consumers that, that are as good as those for, for those who aren't vulnerable? I can see that happening. But as ever, these things take a long time. You know, change takes a long time to implement. And, you know, this is a journey that we're on here. I think firms are much, much more aware of vulnerable customers and are taking their responsibilities really seriously now. So, you know, there is definitely management attention on vulnerable customers. I think the change has really got to start from now on to meet the FCA's expectations because standards evolve. So in two or three years time, it's quite clear what leading firms will be doing and so really we need to have some change in the industry which addresses the needs of vulnerable customers from products through um, the uh, customer journeys uh, into outcomes so that 
we get it right for vulnerable customers you know all the time well thank you both for your time today and for a really interesting discussion uh, it's been fascinating to hear about the, the the approach that firms are taking and the issues that, that consumers are facing on, on what is clearly a very live current issue uh, as our own survey demonstrates with firms at the moment to our listeners i hope you've also found this episode incredibly helpful please do share this podcast and subscribe to future episodes uh, and i'll be back with you with our next episode after easter thank you <music>